Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery with me, Jody Stevens. I am here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions. We dive into the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of addiction and recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. We are back with another amazing story of recovery and God's amazing grace. And I'm joined by a friend of mine, John Heath. So glad you're here. John, it's been a while since we've connected. I left the Sacramento region and you're still in the Sacramento area. I am now in Reno, but I love how technology has got us connected again. How you doing? I'm doing great. And I'll tell you, Sacramento has not been the same since you've uh, departed there. And uh, I'm glad, though, that you've uh, moved on to greater greater pastures and uh, and the work that you're doing right now in around the uh, uh, recovery arena. So, but you are missed oh. on the fish. Well, thank you so much. And I, it's, I'm sorry to hear about that crazy shooting. Jeez oh. Louise. That is that so was sad. rough. I that know so, it's just so rocking sad. the community. There's been so many of those. It's so devastating. And I thought to myself, I wonder, I, you know, I hate to say, it, but I was like, I wonder when Sacramento, you know, something like this is going to happen. And then it did. And it was just like, oh my gosh. So I bet the community is just reeling. Very, very devastating to the community. And uh, it, it, it's, it's just a tragic, tragic thing. And my heart bleeds for the families out there that are, have yeah. been affected by this. So I know, I know. Well, John is with a great ministry called Higher Power Ministries, and my husband and I had a chance to speak at that ministry a couple times. It was super awesome, faith-based, Christian-based, but a great recovery ministry. Life is good for John today, but it wasn't always oh, yes. like that. I know you, but I don't fully, like I've heard little snippets of your story, but I want to hear your story as we call it in recovery experience, strength and hope. It's like, where were you then? What happened? And where are you today? So before we get into that, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And if you know someone who struggles with addiction, please share this show. You can leave a review on iTunes or whatever app you're listening through. We're on most of them, Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, Podbean, Amazon, YouTube. There's like a thousand of them these days. And you can also listen on my website, by clicking podcasts at uh, jodystevens.org. So John, I wanted to hear later about your life today, but I like to just start out with that before we get into the nitty gritty, because a lot of people feel like if I get sober and I quit doing drugs or drinking, then my life's going to suck and it's going to be so boring. And you and I both know that with addiction, our life does suck. It may not be boring, but it sucks. And I would take boring over suck, right? Absolutely. And <laughs> and it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned that because... I can remember coming into the rooms uh, for the very first time and thinking, my life is over. <laughs> and yeah. I have ended up here and, and had no inclination that that the blessings that were going to be down coming through, uh, you know, from uh, from the mess that I have created, that someday it would become a message uh, for the kingdom. But, uh, but I did have that mindset where I thought my, you know, coming into recovery was about the worst thing you could possibly do as a person. And since then, I realized coming into recovery, we are the luckiest people on this planet because Amen. we recognize over time that we are people that need people. 
and we need people in our lives. And there are divine appointments that are placed in our life through that person that's sitting in the seat next to us or the speaker in the room. Yeah. You know, when you're in recovery, it's removing the substances, step one, but then it's about digging into just some of the causes and behavioral issues. And so a lot of times I always say in recovery, we're also some of the luckiest people because a lot of people don't get that far in life. So having to kind of look at our own stuff and make amends with people and offer forgiveness and work on our spirituality is something that we have, like other people may not have to do that, but it's a luxury we can't afford. And there's so many, you know, to not do that. And there's so many blessings that come along with being, with with being able to self-reflect is really. Exactly. (laughs) The, the, The blessings are tenfolds. I think a lot of us, you know, we use and, uh, for a very common denominator, I think that pain is really the core of us getting into our ism because some event tragic event created that pain it became so unbearable instead of trying to work through the pain we mass the pain and through massing the pain over and over developed an ism through it whether it be alcohol or drugs or even other other addictions food you know, it's it's funny how when we are in, in the ism mode, how we hopscotch from different drugs and different alcohols in different situations. Um, it, it's just, in, it becomes embedded in us. It does. And so many people with addictions have what's called co-occurring or underlying disorders, you know, where for me, the alcohol treated the anxiety and the insomnia. And so, I didn't even know that was happening because it started so early, you know, when I was 14 and, you know, then I would remove the booze and I couldn't sleep or I'd have panic attacks. After I removed the addiction, it took some time to learn how to be able to sleep, you know, and be able to do those things. And then oftentimes these are issues with trauma that happened early on in childhood. You begin to medicate so early in your life that as you get older, you've lost touch, not only with what you're medicating and why, but who you even are. So I always feel like recovery is is a journey back to ourself, our authentic self, the self that God created us to be and to become more integrated, like who I am on the outside is who I am on the inside. It's a bit of a journey. We remove the substance, then we begin to do the work and, you know, God, show me who I am and who you made me to be. Exactly. And that's where the 12 steps come in. And that gives you that opportunity as an individual to work through those processes and to take it one step at a time and to be able to grow spirit with through your spirituality, as Mm -hmm. well as getting to know yourself, your true self sense. But I do believe there are events that happen in one's life that are pretty much pilot lights that trigger one to to take the next step further to mask those pains. As for mm-hmm. myself, I looked back and you know I really did some self examination and uh, through working the steps. And one event that happened that was very tragic was um, my grandmother had uh, was 
up very early one morning and we were living fairly close by. We got a phone call and my grandfather had called my father at 5 a.m. and said my grandmother was on fire. Uh, she had caught herself on fire up from a tea kettle. And oh my gosh. why my father brought me to that scene, I'll never know. I think he was in fear. I, I don't understand it to this day because I would never do that to mine. But, you know, it's different times, different place. Yeah. And I walked into this horrific scene. It, it just really affected me. as, a, And I was only like nine years old at the time. I was very, very young. We had then moved my grandfather into our house, who at that time, now looking back later, was an, one of us, an, you know, an alcoholic. I was introduced to alcohol through him. So it was kind of like a twofold. You don't know exactly where that threshold of crossing that threshold into the actual alcoholism, but at some point in that near future, a few years down the road, uh, you know, maybe uh, seven years down the road, I crossed that threshold. And mm-hmm. and once you cross that, I believe it's really the point of no returning back the ism, but yeah. it's on, you're on a pathway to a different journey in your life. And that journey, nine times out of 10, turns into pretty destructive behavior. Yeah, so, I, I would yeah. agree with that. And then then when the medical condition becomes like substance use disorder or addiction, then we've got brain changes, we've got dopamine issues, we've got, and our brain basically is trying to survive. It's like, oh, give me more of that. And then I can survive, you know, and, and then you get the tolerance and the dependence and there's, and then you've got psychological, like we were just talking about. I mean, there's yeah. so many facets of addiction and recovery. And so it's very complex. And so when people are like, well, how do you treat it? Is it this, 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 or this? And it's like, yes, <laughs> it yes. is that, 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 <laughs> you know, it, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, once I uh, hit the, hit the mat, I kept going for 35 yeah. years oh my and uh, it was very, I mean, that's a long time to not turn, do an about turn. And it was only by God's grace that that about turn came came in my life because so many people that I, I used to party with are no longer on this earth. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, and I, I, I also fear for their internal, you know, uh, where, where their eternity sits as well. Yeah. I do believe, though, that God allows everything to happen in our lives. You know, he allows this and he's also allowed our self-will you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, we, we, the one thing about recovery, we we learned about thy will be done, not I will be done. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and it's when we're running the ship, even, you know, even today, I have to get out of, out of the way. I find myself uh, getting, you know, caught in I will instead of thy will. And yeah. I say, hey, thank you, God, for that little love tap on the shoulder. Things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. That's so true. And I love that you shared that because God is a wonderful God who allows us to do what we want. And he gently would like to lead us, but he's a gentleman. And as as long as we're in our will, he's like, I will step out of the way and let you do your thing. But if you would like to surrender to me, I have some pretty good ideas (laughs) that might make your life a little better, but I'm not going to force anything on you because that's not how I am, you know? 
Um, and I think I think when we can learn a lot from that in sobriety too, as well. Yes. Which is like it's just like live and let live as much as is possible, and and just try to be in the moment, which is very hard for us in addiction recovery because we like to live in the past or the future. We don't particularly love to live in the here and now, but it's exactly. a good place to be. <laughs> exactly, and we try to find that that comfort place. Uh, in our mind. And, and if we can pull ourselves into the presence, we can really enjoy um, his grace and, and love that he radiates for us. But it takes work on our part. I mean, you have to have the willingness to be able to accept that. The one thing that, you know, I really enjoy, I'm in a, involved in a, a very, very cool uh, big book study on Monday mm-hmm. nights on Zoom. The guy who facilitates it is absolutely he just knows how to point out where god shows up in different areas of our life and also the areas of where we have to find forgiveness of ourselves you know to forgive Mm -hmm. oneself and that that'll keep us out of recovery if we cannot actually forgive ourselves in this so it's one of the one of the perks of the of the pandemic. I mean, you got to look at the glass half filled in this. There was a lot of good things that came out of this pandemic. I mean, it was not just all destruction. I mean, where can you put a room of alcoholics all over the world? Yeah, all over the world, and you're now on Zoom and in the rooms of AA sitting there. So or NA or FA, whatever it may be. I love that, and and also. I'm hoping that the healthcare industry, you know, you have um, what I call like telehealth for therapy. They haven't really moved that much in the direction of addiction and recovery, but I'm hoping that they will start to do that where we can change some of the laws to cross over the state lines or things like that, you know, so somebody sitting here in Reno, because I'm working towards a uh, addiction counseling license, it would be great to reach people all over and to be able to offer, you know, therapy to them as well. They are using this now, Zoom or whatever they use for telehealth, it has to be a little more protected, but they're using it for to get for people in the rural areas as well, because people out in the rural areas, there's huge addiction problems there and it's hard to reach people. So it is. that is, it is one huge benefit of technology. So John, how long have you been sober? With God's grace, April 17th, uh-huh. it'll be 16 years. Woohoo! On Easter you, Sunday. You and I. I know. Wow. I was going to say that. We're both on the 16-year path. So The 16-year uh, yeah. plan. I hit 17 in June, hubby's got 19, you have 16. I'm not going to do the math, but in this house and yours, that's a lifetime of sobriety. What's amazing about this year's recovery birthday is that it is falling on Easter Sunday and Easter Sunday Mm. was my surrender date at that point. It was the final plug in the jug, as they say. (laughs) Uh, except it was a pint mm-hmm. of Jack Daniels sitting at a bar oh. in San Mateo uh, after I have driven my mom and my family to a Easter brunch. I'm at the bar and I had I knew it was my last, it was going to be supposedly my last shot, but it was mm-hmm. a pint of, and I just uh, drank that down and said, this is it. And wow. uh, so, and, and it was amazing 
it was like, you know, there were steps involved to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, because the previous year I had uh, given up methamphetamines, oh which I was an s- extreme addict. It stole my soul, basically, for oh. several years. And, but you know, and, you know, we can get into this in a little bit. I mean, I've hopscotched my addiction greatly. Do you still have all your teeth? I still have all my teeth and I have no cavities. So I'm doing pretty good on that. So how uh, does meth do that? Yeah. yeah. And I, I was pretty heavy user. So it it, it was, I'm glad, I'm glad I have all my teeth. That's for sure. How does it do that? Do you know? Like I, cause I see people that, that have done a lot of meth and. and... Oh, they, it just, it's, it, well, it's, it's like an acid. It, it breaks down. I mean, it's, it's about the, it's, about the worst thing you can put in your body. I mean, it's the chemicals that are involved in it are just absolutely, uh, it's it's destructive. That's why you see cooks, you know, they're in full gear <laughs> and you hear about these uh, meth labs or meth houses that are, you know, they're now uh, condemned. Uh, I'm in mm-hmm. the building industry. I'm an engineer. You know, I know the destruction it does because uh, it, it actually almost like stains the materials in the house where you cannot, it, it, it just embeds itself uh, from there. So that's why. Now, uh, when you say, when you say meth, are you talking about crank or are they the I'm same I'm talking things? about crystal meth. I had hopscotched from cocaine to heroin, alcohol, and then have time in between all that. But the meth was brought on you know, and, I, and it's the old story, the drug giveth and then it taketh. And when it taketh, yeah. I had uh, two toes tipping in hell. I mean, I can literally yeah. uh, feel it. Not only the physical presence of the people, but the spiritual presence was like nothing you, you would ever experience. Wow. I, I remember back that it had gotten a hold of me so bad. I had not left the house, Jody, and I'm really kind of embarrassed to say this, but, and I tell my story in recovery to help others, but I had not left my house at, in the end of my, the end of the addiction for almost a year. My life had come to a room, to Hell's Angels, dropping off a drop once a week, and my wife uh, basically saying that she was going to leave me with a two-year-old child. And she should, for rightfully so, back then. She had gone to a pastor to that she was going to church at uh, Central Peninsula in Foster City Church and uh, went to the pastor and said, look, your husband uh, said her husband is an addict and is using at this level, and I'm just waiting for the day that I come home or go up to the room and I find him dead. Yeah. And what do I do? What do I do with this? Yeah. The recovery pastor, who I love dearly, Steve Arell, who's since then passed, asked her very three questions. And to this day, uh, I could see how God used him mightily in people's lives. He asked her this. He goes, and my wife's name is Marie. He goes, Marie, has your husband ever physically touched you? And, and be honest about these questions uh, in a wrongful manner. And she said, no. And he goes, has he ever physically abused, emotionally abused you verbally? And he goes, well, but what he's doing is emotionally abusing me. He goes, no, no, no. 
directed it towards you, not himself. And she goes, well, no, not really. And then he goes, and with your son, has he done either of those things, physically or emotionally toward? He goes, no, he loves loves uh, little James, but it's him what he's doing to himself. And he goes, you know, Marie, you can't leave him. Mm. It doesn't qualify. All I can do is tell you that you need to stay in and keep praying for your husband. And he goes, we serve a mighty God. You know, Jody, she came home with that and told me what that the events that took place that day from this pastor. And it was the attraction of his grace working through with the Holy Spirit that touched my heart and said, look, this man is actually accepting me exactly where I am. And what he was really doing was emanating Christ because Christ mm -hmm. accepts us exactly where we are, even in the midst of our deepest, deepest addiction. And it was at that point that the attraction, as they talk about in recovery, clicked. I had then made a decision that I would try and go to, uh, the ministry was higher power, I would try to attend. And I did. And I attended, although I attended I was high as a kite, <laughs> I still attended. And those were my baby steps into the rooms. You know, it doesn't really matter. We're a mess anyway, walking in there in recovery. And, and, and God realizes that. And so do the people in recovery. That's why they are the most important person in the room. It was those steps there that through the grace of those around me, through that pastor, that the beginning of recovery in its rawest, rawest form was starting to actually allow itself into my heart. I spent a year going there on and off, you know, and I wasn't of right mind. Pretty much most of the time I was there, I wasn't ready, but I was getting ready. God was getting yeah. me ready for that big step. You know, so for those out there who are saying, I can't do it, well, that's okay. It's not going to be done overnight. It's a process and it's, it's, it's a messy process and it's okay that it's a messy process, but allow the process in your heart. As they say in AA, as long as you have a desire and that's it, just the desire, you're allowed to the membership in, into AA. I had gained that desire. I wanted change. I just didn't know how to do, what to do. That's a beautiful story and a, a wise pastor, too, because most of us would say, you need to kick him out and you need to have boundaries, right? Because that's just what we've learned. Exactly. And what he was really looking for was, is she in harm? Because a lot of times with addicts, there's violence, chaos, and things like that. And since there wasn't any of that, he felt like it was okay for your wife to stay. It makes me think a lot because I think sometimes when we have, we have to make sure that our boundaries aren't like selfish motive. You know what I mean? That they're really serving the person where we have to look at, do I need to protect myself and my sanity, you know? And I think that's when, like, if your wife's sanity was going or things like that, that's when we know we have to 
separate ourselves from the person, you know, and the addiction. But I think by this pastor doing that, it removed just some of the shame for you. It, it really, really did. And it actually brought a clarity to me, even in that state of mind, mm-hmm. that he understands. Yeah. He, he has an understanding of what's really going on here. It was attraction. And then, you know, I walked into the room there at higher power and there's like rock and roll music going. I could, <laughs> And it was like the only thing I could identify in life was music. Little did I know, though, at that point, that really the lyrics, the Holy Spirit was working through the Christian lyrics, and it allowed me a place to just pause, to sit and pause myself and find a sense of peace when I was living in complete chaos in my head and allowed to just sit there And so I felt like it was a safe place. The people were safe. I didn't believe that they all were sober. That was the other thing that was comical because they were all so happy. I thought these guys are high as a kite, man, because they're just, but no, it was actually the peace and the serenity and the love that they have found in the room. They were radiating it back to me. I just didn't, I wasn't capable at that point of receiving you know, and, and it took time. Yeah. And it was easy to just think that they were just wasted, you know. Uh, exactly. But it's funny because you were in, from a therapeutic perspective, they, they, I don't know if you've ever read about the stages of change, but there's different stages of change where we have our pre-contemplative and then contemplative, and then we're we're doing something about it. And so I think a lot of times we want to push people into recovery and do all this take them through the steps and do this therapeutic stuff. But if they don't even know they're an addict, like they may be like you were kind of like, I think maybe I have a problem. I don't really know. I'm still kind of want to bargain with it. You can't really do much, but try to lead them towards wanting to change. Right. And until they're ready to change, Nothing else really works. It doesn't really help to like sponsor and steps and, oh, let's do cognitive behavioral therapy. It's like you don't even know that you want to change it. So it's it's a process. There's a saying in the rooms, sick and tired of being sick and tired. And mm-hmm. that is so true because, you know, there's so many things that you go through when you're out there on the other side the nudge from the judge wasn't enough. The third DUI wasn't <laughs> enough. You know, yeah. the, the, the crash in the car, you know, with and walking in with glass in your head from the windshield, that wasn't enough. You know, I mean, it, yeah. you know, being served papers uh, for, for, you know, and losing your job, that wasn't enough. So it's until you personally are ready all the all the sponsorship, all the steps, all the you know, it's not going to work. You have to take that step yourself. The thing is, we come into there and we run our lives and we keep our fists closed like we're ready to fight. But until we come in open palmed and saying, yeah. "I'm ready," that's when 
his will will step in and help and guide you. There's a lot of work you got to do yourself. I'm not going to say that to anyone. When I work with a sponsee, I say there's a lot of work, but we always say a prayer that that his will helps us, you, carry through, me, carry through the steps in the order that they need to be. I always tell a sponsee, they do not need, this is not a perfect sailing book that they're presenting when they do the little bit of journaling. It's just getting it down and having yeah. the opportunity to reflect back on where you were. And the beauty of it is, is that you can actually see the healing in motion. The ninth step of making amends, that's, you know, th those steps are in order. Uh, but the beauty is we're able to make amends. And mm. there's various ways of making amends, like in the yeah. ninth, with the ninth step. There's an opportunity that most people don't even get who are not in recovery and, and has created wreckage in their life. So Yeah. And yeah. for those of you that don't know, the making amends is step nine, which is really what I call sweeping off your side of the street. And it's where we look exactly. at the wreckage and we we take responsibility for it. We don't go, I'm sorry, but it's an I'm sorry. And even in, and of course, we know there's enough blame to go around. That doesn't mean that the other person wasn't part of the dysfunction. It's just, we're just doing our part to clean up the mess. It's not, it's not necessarily about them. It's about us and taking accountability and taking responsibility for our own part and stuff. And it's, it's very healing. That is so true. And the healing continues as we come back with part two. This concludes part one with John Heath. John, thanks for hanging out. We're going to come back next time and we're going to hear your story, which is totally wild and totally crazy, but it has a beautiful ending and it's not over yet, of course. So join us for part two coming up. Thanks again for being here. And again, please share this show on social media. You can hit the share button too on any of the apps you're listening through. Genuine Life Recovery is on iTunes and Spotify, TuneIn, Amazon, Audible. You can also just click podcasts at jodystevens.org. And feel free to reach out to me as well. My email is genuinelife at jodystevens.org. J-O-D-I-E Stevens with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N-S. Thanks for listening, and we will have more with John coming up on the next show. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you next time.